My name is Jonette Gay, and I'm the pastor of Audubon United Methodist Church. I have with me today our media specialist. Hi, Jason Burgess. And we want to talk and we want to listen. Our faith is seen and understood in many topics. We're glad you've tuned in today to Hey Hey, Anybody Listening? excited to have my friend Marjorie Roth here today, who is a Presbyterian pastor. And I want to ask you, we did our Doctor of Ministry together. We were cohorts. And I think your topic just sounds so very fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. So um, my topic was really about where does pop culture, where does um, TV and movies intersect with faith and religion and theology. And I didn't go the route where you look at a TV show or look at a superhero in my case, that's how I narrowed it down and say, how do all of, how does this superhero, how does this TV show or um, pop culture thing speak to God, assuming that the writers or the people watching already know how they connect with God. We see that um, play out a lot with Superman. There's tons of, if you Google search Superman and Christ, you'll see tons of examples of people who have said, here's how Superman and Jesus Christ are the same. That wasn't what I wanted to do with my paper because I don't think that's important. You know, as we increase the amount of nuns in society, N-O-N-E-S's, they are not looking when they're watching TV or watching a movie and saying, oh, look it. This is just like Christ <laughs> or, oh, that's the story of Moses, right? They are not, he- they don't pick up on those themes. So the, the point of my um, thesis was not to point out themes where the writers subconsciously or consciously picked Christian themes, but instead to ask the question, what are these popular TV shows and movies and what are their themes and how do those reflect on theology? Um, how can we watch theolog- what how can we watch secular things, secular TV shows, secular movies, and allow those things to inform our faith to the point that we faithful people can have a, a common language for talking about our faith. If we think back at early Christians and missionaries, right, they went in and learned the culture first often before telling people about Jesus. We now have more nuns and ONESs than we have mainline Protestants. Uh, where I live on Long Island, that is absolutely true. And so to speak to people with language that they understand, we need to know and we need to understand the language of today. And the language of today is pop culture. Everybody has and knows the pop culture of the moment. Everybody knows the hot TV shows on Netflix, right? Everybody knows these things. For my paper, I focused on superheroes because I wrote my paper when um, the Avengers Endgame was, you know, big. We we had just finished Infinity War and Endgame was coming out and all the talk was superheroes. I also picked superheroes because they're I love them and I've been a huge fan of my whole life. And I've always felt that there's a lot of godly themes in superheroes. So that was the essence of my paper. 
Sure. I would have loved to. I'll have to read it. I'm sure it's in the seminary and I'll have to go and read it. Well, I also want to ask you, because you are what we want in my congregation and in many congregations, you and your husband have three children, young children. How old is the oldest? Our oldest now is 12. 12. So 12, 10, and 8. And our 12-year-old just joined the church um, on Sunday through confirmation. Oh, wonderful. That is wonderful. So I want to know how did you... Um, remain in the church when so many have it. Tell me a little bit about your story, your faith story, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, that's something that my husband and I have reflected on a lot. Um, he is the end of a Gen Xer and I am the beginning of millennial. So we represent the two different gen generations that are missing from the church. A lot of people forget about the Xers, you know, <laughs> but um, it, it's interesting when I met him, he was actually a, a roaming church person because he had grown up Roman Catholic and he had felt called into the ministry at one point in his youth and said, no, because I want to get married. I don't want to be a priest. So when he left um, home for college, he started attending different churches. He was attending a Methodist and then eventually a Presbyterian. So when I met him, he was attending already a Presbyterian church but he still gives me credit for converting him. <laughs> um, I grew up Presbyterian and I grew up in the church and he grew up as a Roman Catholic in the church. Um, and the, our relationship with God was really important to us as children and youth. You know, both of us really relied on that relationship with God through some harder times in our um childhood and youth. You know, my parents divorced. We moved around a lot. You know, church was the constant for me. You know, no matter where I lived, I could go into a church and especially a Presbyterian church with litany and, you know, feel at home. Um, Same thing for my husband. He, you know, he spent a lot of time doing um, like youth mission trips and youth camps and things like that. And those were always meaningful to his um, childhood. And so for both of us, it was just really this relationship with God that stemmed very early and then remained with us through, um, you know, into we both went into seminary early. I went into seminary right out of, you know, I went high school, college, seminary. <laughs> um, and so we remained in the church. Um, our friends are not many of our friends are not church people. I mean, we have some church friends from seminary. <laughs> But like my two best friends don't go to church. And, um, you know, I oft, we often talk about that. I often say to them, you know, why don't you go to church or, you know, be a part of a church. One just moved to a new town. And I was like, well, you know, start by going to church, <laughs> meet friends, you know. But both of them had some um, not so great memories of church and of the church people um, one of my friends had really hard time fitting into church when she was younger. And so for her that she didn't have that same, um, loving relationship with church. Um, this past Sunday, my daughter became a member of our, um, one of the churches. My husband and I are both ministers, so we have different churches, but she chose my, to be a member of my husband's church. And the other, one of the other confirmants actually invited tons of friends to it. So had like, I want to say eight to 10 friends. And it didn't dawn on me to invite friends. 
So, <laughs> or to invite her friends. So I was feeling like a horrible mom and I had like this horrible mom guilt moment, right? Like I didn't invite your friends. Yeah. So after um, church, we were sitting down or after the reception, we were sitting down and I said, you know, Olivia, I'm really sorry I didn't invite your friends. It didn't really dawn on me to invite your friends to this. And, you know, she said the sweetest thing. She was like, oh, I didn't need friends there, mom, because, you know, Miss Nancy was there and Lynn and Lee and Jack were there. And she just started naming all these church people who have been very important to her, you know, in her life. And they were all there. And so, you know, she felt okay because all of these church people were there. That's and I, I felt a sense of relief and also a great um, joy that she felt that they were all there for her. What a beautiful sense of multi-generational community. I love that. Well, I have another question. Well, I, Go ahead. Oh, before you, I will say this thing. I read somewhere, and so I don't really know if this is good for a podcast because, you know, I'm not quoting an actual place. I just read somewhere. One time I read somewhere that um, people need to have five people in a church that they connect to that are outside of their family unit in order to feel like they belong to that church. Again, I don't know where I read that. But I think back in my own childhood and, you know, even though um, I'm not sure I ever spoke to or like directly ever told these people in every church, there really were, you know, a, about a half dozen people who always knew my name, who always came to see how we were, you know, who really reached out. And that was an intergenerational thing. Right. Um and I think that's what's important. Yes. You know, my kids don't have grandparents who live by. We live alone on the island. But yet at grandparents' days when they went to school, they often invited a church person to be their grandparent, right? This idea that there's got to be, you know, five people or whatever number, a half dozen, right, that we've connected with. And I'm sh I think that that's maybe where we failed at church. Are, do we really reach out? Do we really have a relationship with five people beyond our immediate families? Do we really know five youth in our church so well that we know more than just their name? Very good. That's, that's a good challenge. So personally, I was wondering how you're able to be a pastor and a mother and a wife uh, and a clergy couple, is it a case of balance or is it maybe a way to integrate both your faith and your work and your family life? I was just wondering how you hold it all together, Marjorie. I mean, it is a lot of balance and a really good calendar and a lot of reminders. I said a lot of alerts, <laughs> but I live for those. <laughs> um, case in point today. Um so there's that. That's important. Um, you know, for the church, I think that all of the churches that my husband and I have served have had to have a little bit of a rethink of what it means for clergies and for clergy families, because they've never had, in the sense, a whole clergy family. They have one of us and they have sometimes some of our children. But there's a lot of events that they don't get all of us for, 
you know, even at like Christmas time this year, Russell's Christmas dinner and my Christmas dinner were on the same night. We tried to convince our sessions to move them, but it, that was the be- can most, you know, the best consensus night for everybody. So that meant that they got, you know, not the whole family, right? And I think that's something that the churches have to be willing to accept. And and one thing that we talk to our churches before we um, receive a call deeply about, because if you're expecting a whole family, then... <laughs> you're, you're going to be mistaken. You have to have, you know, where you're not going to get us all. It's not a, a one for five deal. Um, or five for one deal. I mean, um, so that's an important part of that is the churches have to be willing to accept that. And I think that's something that we've worked out our balance with, um, but can be, it's still, that can be a, a stumbling block for, for it. Um, my husband actually just took on a second church for a short bit and to just make our life even more complicated. And there was an event on Monday and he couldn't go because he has a knee situation. So I went to it, one of our children, right? And um, so that it can be weird, um, but it's mostly a really good calendar and churches who understand that. Well, thanks for giving us a little bit of feel of of what your life looks like these days. And I just wondered, what is bringing you joy? What's something that brings you joy? Well, I mean, I think one of the things that really brings me joy is watching my children grow. Um, You know, we have, I really feel self-care is important for us as pastors, it's a huge thing that we have to prioritize because if we don't take care of ourselves, we're not going to be able to take care of our, our congregation. We're still, we're certainly not going to be able to, I, as a mother, I'm not going to be able to take care of my kids either to the best that I can. So, um, we cycle a lot as a family, you know, we, we ride bikes. I cycle individually too. So, um, you know, my mental health and my, and our, um, and and that sort of thing brings me a lot of peace. But what brings me a lot of joy is really um, experiencing that with my kids. Um, really, this tomorrow I leave for um, a short overnight camp trip with Livia where we're cycling for 50 miles on um, Thursday for to, through Cape Cod. Wow. And just, you know, being able to have those moments with your kids of... Um, time and of shared experience and also of you know being able to have those open conversations about you know where the church is and where our faith is and how the church is moving forward um the presbyterian church usa is about to be making some major sweeping changes of our book of order and it's going to be including it's taking out all of the language that is gendered and moving it to inclusive of all genders. And that's really a huge move for the Presbyterian Church. And it's very exciting for us as a family. So I feel like, um, you know, just having those moments with the kids and being able to experience them with them is is wonderful. Oh, thank you for being a part of us. And anything else you want to share with our listeners today? I'm so glad to have this time with you. No, I think, you know, if we just all can 
keep our faith, right? And share our faith with people that we meet. You know, I don't think our church is dying. I think our church is transforming. Um, I think our churches are in a point where, you know, we have the ability to still do good in this world and to still offer change. And if we can just inspire enough people to do that, you know, Jesus had 12 disciples, right? That went out and started a church that's 2000 plus years later. It doesn't require a large number for us to do great things. So, you know, I think if we can all just get past the numbers and into loving each other and going out and being in this world, um, we can do great things. Thank you, Marjorie, for this time. And thank all of you for tuning in to Hey, Hey, Anybody Listening. So glad you were with us today. And I hope you'll tune in again as we listen to one another.